Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. How's it going, man? It is going pretty well. Um, it it has been a minute since we did this. I know it might not seem like that to some listeners, but it has been quite a while, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, we. I'm trying to think. I think it's been two weeks since we sat down to record in this fashion. I mean, I know we, we really quick mm-hmm. hammered out our Christians of history last week, um, but we haven't had like a, here's a, you know, a weekend day where we're going to record a couple episodes. So it's kind of, yeah. you know, it's kind of nice to be, to be doing that again. I, I spent this weekend camping and, uh, we got back yesterday. Um, today's just sort of been, it's, it's labor day for those listening. It's, it's Monday. Um, so we're off of work kind of just hanging out and I don't know. It's, uh, I, I'm so glad that I don't live in Denver right now. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've seen the news about like what's going on there. It's like in the 90s today, and then tonight uh-huh. it's supposed to dip into the 30s, and they're supposed to have like a winter storm extravaganza, like six inches of snow or something. Can you imagine how many pipes are going to burst? No, with yeah, a 60 I mean, degree swing. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna. It's I cannot even imagine like to have it be in the 90s, and then suddenly you have snow within the same 24 hour period. Yeah, in September. Wow. In September. Man, that's terrible. <laughs> 2020 just keeps on swinging. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, one of the reasons we didn't record last week is my wife was in the hospital getting emergency surgery last Saturday. So it's been a fun week of surgical recovery and adjustment while also still getting used to living in Birmingham, uh, which is an interesting way to kind of kick off September and right. <laughs> whatnot. But uh, thankfully, you know, everything went well and is is better now. Um, and I got to say, we've been... So we visited a church once. Mm. And this church reached out to us when they heard what was going on. Um, people have been bringing us meals. Like someone's bringing us a meal tonight. Um, and it's insane to see people who we don't know yet... Uh, and not even like we don't know personally, but we've seen them around. But like we've literally like never even heard of or met each other, like step up as the body of Christ to fill needs. Um, and it's it's just I don't know. I guess that could be a whole nother episode kind of reflecting on that. But um, that's not what we're talking about today. But but that's definitely something that has just like really struck me is just how incredible this community has been, you know, between between our potential, you know, Look, what looks to be our new church community, and then also um, my fellow students at at Beeson have been um, equally sort of above and beyond what I would expect from people who don't <laughs> know me you. yet, you know. <laughs> um, and and, yeah. and and yeah, like they don't know me, but like we we're family, you know. And and yeah. I think that it's it's incredibly encouraging and refreshing, and and you know more like it fills me with a cert with a feeling that I, I can't really explain you know to be yeah. blessed in that way and to recognize like this is my family um it's pretty is, cool. is is pretty awesome so a bit of a rough week but but things have you know really been used for a lot of blessing even in the midst of that sort of anxiety and fear and stuff which but, i would have to imagine is only like a small i mean it's a very it's a microcosm of even the mm-hmm. christian life you know the yeah. The way that even amidst, you know, the pain, the toil, 
you know, any suffering that befalls us, the grace that is still ever present. Yeah. Amen. Um, and I think it's really easy to forget that for anyone. I know it's really easy for me to forget that. Um, especially just, again, this is probably another episode just reflecting on this, but especially just like in the last year, it's been, there's been a lot of sort of challenges, um, that I feel like have left me just kind of exhausted and dried out in a mm. lot of ways. Yeah. And, you know, you'd think, you know, unexpected emergency surgery would kind of be during COVID <laughs> would kind of be high on the list of exhausting challenges. And like, it definitely was, but at the same time, I don't really feel that way now on the other side of it, seeing the community of the body of Christ coming around me and Elaine in, in such a, you know, seemingly like at the drop of a hat oh we hear someone who visited once is having these trouble troubles let's help them out that kind of thing um so just a really cool experience you know not minimizing the awfulness of a medical emergency but more trying to focus on the positives of the church's response so anyway what i'm that's a long-winded way of saying it's been a crazy week and a half and i'm very excited to be back recording for the podcast so <laughs> um yeah, i think on excited. that note then we can kind of hop into um today's topic which is also a topic i'm really excited about um it, which you know <laughs> depending on how we talk about this might that might sound kind of you know cynical i guess but so we're, we're kind of talking about we're not sure exactly what the title will be but three you know we, we've each come up with a few i guess i should say um a few discouragements or struggles or issues that we have sort of thought of and reflected on that we see in um, the church today, specifically the church context that we're kind of most familiar and, and close to, which would be, you know, generally American Protestantism, evangelicalism, that kind of circle of the, of the Christian world um, mm. is, is sort of just what we're mainly talking about since that's what we you know, are mostly exposed to or interacting with on a daily basis. Um, but yeah, issues, discouragements, problems. I, I don't know the best word. I don't know if you have any more thoughts to kind of maybe explain what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Well, I know that like I was sort of the one that came up with the idea initially. I, I had seen a post on, on social media that was actually from some non-Christians who were discussing like some of the things that they see as problematic in christianity today which i i thought was an interesting i mean it's interesting when anybody has critiques to offer but to come from people on the outside of the church and to see um you know whether it's racism or um you know issues surrounding the fallout of you know jerry falwell's departure from liberty and just to, to hear some of the the voices from the outside looking in i thought it'd be kind of interesting as people within to do you know to, to offer our perspective on what we see as problematic in the church. Um, not because we're like experts, not because we, you know, have anything new to contribute. It's not like we're going to have some, you know, profound revelation to offer here. Um, but I think it's important. Like, I think when we, when, when we sort of push these things to the side, when we neglect them, when we just sort of pretend that they're not there, um, they can begin to, I don't know, increase in the problems that they cause. It can, um, I don't know. I think un like left unchecked, I think these things can create some real challenges for the church. So to be able to call them out, to name them 
and to sort of, you know, think through solutions even can be helpful to, I don't know, help us move forward in a healthy way to, to think more um, biblically, to be, um, you know, more faithful Christians, to not hinder our witness in the world. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons to call out issues that we see is because these issues can lead us to have our witness as believers hindered and have that I don't know. I know. I just know that there are some people who like don't want to be Christians because of the connotations that sometimes come along with it. So to be able to hopefully just, you know, I'm not saying our listeners are even guilty of, you know, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, if we, if, if any of us, myself included, I'm sure I've been guilty of some of these things. Like, you know, when we, when we recognize these errors in us, it's, it's helpful to then, I don't know, I think really think those things through. So I, I yeah, I guess I don't have much else to contribute. But mm-hmm. yeah, and I think you what you touch on a couple of important things too of like this isn't meant to be a judgmental, you know, echo chamber kind of talk. Um we're definitely wanting to hold up a magnifying glass to issues we see that includes ourselves of 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 sins or temptations or bad habits or tendencies that that we have experienced and observed either firsthand or in you know, conversation with others or reading or, or seeing the news within the Christian world. Um, but this isn't supposed to, this isn't like bashing a person or a group. Um, at least that's definitely not our intention. And that's not the goal. The goal is, is constructive. It's, it's, you know, if this, if this or that thing is a problem and it's happening in the church or it's happening in this individual at this church or, or it's happening in me and the way I interact with people online we need to be able to check that um, and, like you said, offer solutions, not out of a place of expertise, but just out of a place of, like, how can we move forward from this? How can we do better in these regards? Again, not to bash anybody and not to bash ourselves either, no. but to to name things that are problems for the sake of being able to address them in our own hearts and, uh, you know, friend groups and broader communities all the way up to the level of the church at large right and Um, i just kind of want to say too on the front end i I forgot to mention it like you and i are not experts on critical race theory (laughs) or cultural marxism maybe people like are expecting those to be things that will be found within this and i don't know that they we're not if they are we're not calling them by those names Mm -hmm. um but i think one of the one of the tendencies at least that i see on on social media and and, in in some of the arenas that i frequent is a tendency to turn an eye to issues that are prevalent and real i mean whether it again whether Mm. whether it's racism or um, nationalism or whatever it might be uh, there just seems to be a growing trend to want to sort of like see those things as the great boogeymen that we need to i don't know not think about not worry about or to just sort of throw away and so i think it's helpful like i said it's helpful to name these things and to really engage them so that we don't continue to perpetuate them yeah so I'll just kind of kick it off, I guess, with the first one I thought of, um, and we're, you know, we'll, we'll see how many we talk about, how many we have overlapping, that kind of thing. Um, but we basically just have have sort of just, you know, independently reflected on this, and then we're kind of coming together with you guys to talk about it. So the first one I want to mention is is in a broad sense tribalism, um, and you know, the way I would want to define tribalism is basically 
a, a, a very heavy sort of us versus them attitude where my group, whether it's my political party or my denomination or my um, literally anything else, my, you know, <laughs> urban, my fellow urban dwellers, my fellow rural uh, dwellers, whatever, whatever you might choose to make a group out of um, being, being, like I said, an us versus them, you know, my group is superior uh, to these other groups because we are more orthodox because we love people more. You know, I'm trying to think of like Christian ways that this would play out, you know, like most self-conscious self-professing Christians aren't going to say, you know, my group is better because we have more money. You know, I'm sure some people would, but like generally I think it's more along the lines of, I think that uh, my group understands the Bible more. So I'm going to set up this sort of us versus them. My tribe is closer to God's will than your tribe. Um, not maybe not because we're inherently better, but because we have this understanding that, that I want you to have. Um, and when those kinds of thoughts sort of escalate to it, like a tribalist sort of way of looking at the world, um, which we're all familiar with, we've all had conversations or seen conversations, you know, it's kind of a hot button topic. I feel like in the last few years, this idea of tribalism, dividing up into different factions us versus them however you want to phrase it um i I just think it's really really common and it's definitely common you know anecdotally in what i've seen when i read the news when i uh talk to to christians online or or just witness you know the behavior of christians online um and and not just online but i think online brings out the worst um it's 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 easy to be a jerk online even if you wouldn't be in real life so i think that a lot of times the worst of these things that we're going to talk about come out on social media most uh prominently um but i also want to point out that like the tribalism can can come in a lot of different forms i think the easy one to think of especially you know over the last four years and especially in an election year in 2020 is 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 politics of you you know, you can't be a Christian and vote this way, or, you know, this party is the best and those who disagree with me and fall into other, you know, political alignments are, you know, missing the gospel or not living out the truth or, you know, however you might want to phrase it or however it might make sense in, in context of like why someone is, is latching on to a certain political tribe. But it's also way different than that. And, And, you know, I don't even want to focus on political tribalism because it's such a, I feel like that's such an obvious one. Um, But something that's really been on my mind recently is like theological tribalism, which might not necessarily be quite as pronounced in like the general population. um, But at least in my, what the, the kinds of people I spend time with in person and online, just by virtue of my interests and station in life and all that kind of stuff it's definitely really prominent and you know i think of like uh inter and intra denominational just kind of bickering and name calling you know like the way that oh you don't subscribe to the westminster confession of faith well you're not a christian or you know catholics and protestants or you know fill fill in the blank of of that kind of thing but also even within denominations or within uh, broader traditions where people realistically share (laughs) most things theologically, 
there is um, so much, you know, the only way, the only category I can think to, to call it is theological tribalism and, and just working itself out in really ugly ways. Like I think of, you know, within, within, you know, weird, you know, within weird Christian Twitter, there's weird Anglican Twitter and within weird Anglican Twitter, you've got people who are in the continuing churches, people who are Anglo-Catholics, people who are evangelical, people who are from the ACNA, people who are from the Episcopal Church, you know, people who don't care, all, you know, all manner of people. And the amount of just like, oh, you know, uh, ACNA is, is a bunch of homophobic bigots who aren't even real Anglicans, or, oh, the Episcopal Church is a bunch of, you know, wishy-washy mainline, you know, heretics who, who don't really believe in anything. And like, it goes both ways, which is why I chose to <laughs> just go both directions. Um, you know, yes, I'm in the ACNA. Yes, I have my differences with the Episcopal Church that I think are very serious in some regards. But like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you're not Anglican because you don't believe in my expression of Anglicanism or you don't interpret, you know, the prayer book my way, which is things that I've seen like it, 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 especially to someone who's not Anglican, that might sound really goofy, but like I've literally within the last week seen multiple cases of this happening. So it's like, this is kind of the thing I'm talking about. Um, and I think that's just a really good example of like, what the heck, you know, like, you, you know, maybe we're on different, you know, more liberal or conservative sides of the theological spectrum. Maybe we're, you know, Presbyterians versus Baptists versus Eastern Orthodox versus non denominational you know, maybe there are these big differences that need to be discussed. I love discussing those big differences. I, I think that's probably clear, you know, based on how long we've kept up this podcast of basically talking about big differences a lot of the time. And um, there's a difference between talking about those big differences and even debating those big differences when appropriate and where appropriate. Um, and like name calling or bickering or judging each other for being different kinds of Christians. Um, and, um, and that's kind of where I'll leave that, where I just think that it's so, it's so ugly to see tribalism work itself out where you're just, you're just dehumanizing the others because you're hating the other, whether you intend that or not. It's, it's how, I think it's how this plays itself out. And it's certainly how I've seen it playing itself out. And I think that Unfortunately, it often plays itself out that way within the church, which is a really sad thing to encounter. Um, and, and that's kind of why this was like the first thing that popped into my head was just this tribalistic, you know, us versus them kind of division, you know, yeah. um, which, which is, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have much else to add. I kind of feel like I just spewed a lot out there. So <laughs> kind of right. let it process for a little yeah. bit, maybe. Yeah, I mean, tribalism, like you've alluded to, isn't just a, a you know a church Christian problem. I mean, we 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 do us versus them things with anything. It doesn't matter if it's sports, whether it's movies, music. There's a there's always this tendency within humans to divide um, across some sort of issue, I guess, and and it often plays itself out as you know we're right, you're wrong, we have this, you don't, or whatever it might be. So yeah, that's definitely an issue that creeps into the church. So, yeah, And um, I also just want to be clear, there are right and wrong, you know, issues, you know, Correct. or, or yeah. sides of an issue. There, there are things that are true and things that are untrue that need to be determined. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm not right. talking about there being 
areas of division or separation around differing interpretations of important, you know, doctrines or or passages of scripture. I'm talking about the sort of the underlying, you know, expression of how do we frame our differences? How do we live our differences out? Are we striving for unity amongst diversity? Are we seeking to love each other, to learn, to share? Or are we seeking to bicker and fight and name call and exclude those who are different than us? And right. I think that's really the key difference between, you know, being from different denominations and being, you know, theologically tribalistic. Um, it's, I, yeah. it's kind of like the idea of like, if you're not with us, you're against us. And I don't, I don't know the exact quote, but I, I, I have like a vague recollection of Hayden Christensen as Anakin, um, you know, speaking to Obi-Wan. <laughs> like, if you're not with me, you're against me. Or if you're like, I don't, I don't know if you even know the quote I'm referencing, but I feel like in episode three, he says something like that when he's, you know, being all dark. And I, it might varied. be to Padme, actually. It might be. I don't what a know. classic Either movie. way. What great that's, writing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of like just what I picture is that's like that's anybody mm-hmm. who is tribalistic is your your Anakin yeah. turning into the dark side. <laughs> um, no, I kid. But so we'll, we'll keep we'll keep trucking here because, you know, we have yep. a couple to get through. But um, one of the main issues that I see and with with all of these, there seems to be a lot of overlap. There's a lot of interconnectedness. Uh, but maybe an overarching issue that I see in the church today is biblical illiteracy. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is maybe also <laughs> difficult to, to define, but it's, it's, it's pretty evident to me that when you look at social media, when you look at um, even just like generally polling people, like if you ask people on your Facebook or people that you encounter out in, out in you know, culture, like there, there just seems to be a very severe lack of understanding when it comes to any of the, the core Christian truths or, or tenets, I guess. Um, you know, I, I know every two years, Ligonier, um, the ministry that R.C. Sproul started, uh, Ligonier does a uh, state of theology survey where they sort of take a temperature on the theology, <laughs> you know, in America. They also do a U.K. version. And, you know, they ask questions like, you know, is Jesus God? Or, um, you know, what do you think about, you know, this issue or that? And they sort of like will gauge, they look at demographics, you know, um, gender, age, denomination, whatever it might be. But I know that's coming out soon. It might be really interesting to even sort of like evaluate some of that for an episode. But um, I've already seen some of the data that's come out and there's something like 46, uh, that might seem high. I don't know. I won't say the number just because I don't want to be incorrect, but there's a very high number of what can only be described as evangelicals who do not think that Jesus was God. Like when, when they're polled, then again, I know that polls have their issues and who knows how they were done and conducted or whatever. Um, but the fact that they can have a very substantial number, I'll leave it at that, a substantial number of mm. professing Christians yeah. believe and think that Jesus Forget himself was not God. <laughs> just Christians. Right, right. exactly. <laughs> it's, just the, it's just the core truth of our faith, but whatever. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's that's like one of those things that this biblical illiteracy, whether it's whether it's just ignorance, like there are, I'm sure that there are some people where it is just an unaware Mm-hmm. disposition of like I, I don't think about theological things I've never you know my church doesn't t- talk about these things so I'm just like unaware about you know trinity relations or something um, or maybe it's like antagonistic like if you're somebody who you know is into rationalism or um, you know scientism and just looking and perceiving out into the real world and then comparing to that to what you read in scripture and and 
not being able to like reconcile those things and so you maybe sway the other way and go towards you know the the naturalism the, the naturalistic tendencies i don't i don't really know exactly like i said there's a lot that can be packed into this biblical illiteracy right. um, but when i think about like how many people spread conspiracy theories um you know uh, end times stuff like some some of these prophetic end times things i think a lot of that can come t- down to like biblical illiteracy and i'm like i'm thinking very specifically of like people that i actually know i'm not speaking in generalities here like mm. family members friends people that i'm like acquainted with i can i i'm like man like that isn't a very theologically informed position that you're espousing yet you claim to be a christian so like just a, a really low understanding of of scripture and what i mean by that even is like historically just knowing what the historic faith has taught and proclaimed and professed as true and sort of like maybe reinventing the wheel a little bit like as though you know now in 2020 and only now can we know you know what people way back then were just conjecturing about i don't really know what it all you know boils down to but um i do i do see biblical illiteracy quite frequently and um i don't i don't necessarily have like a really good solution i mean i know that bible colleges and seminaries even can be guilty of biblical illiteracy even though you'd think that that wouldn't be the place where it exists uh i don't know i don't know if you even have any thoughts that you wanted to add on this one um since it is such a big one yeah it is such a big one and and i agree that it's a huge one that i'm sure feeds into a lot of the other issues and one thing that i thought of that i wanted to point out is like you mentioned like certain you know opinions or or you know claims or predictions about the end times um and it, it's kind of like i think that's a great example of what it looks like to not know how to read the bible um you know to be biblically illiterate because you might you might look at that and say like well okay some you know super out there maybe you know explanation of these different pieces of revelation fitting together in a certain way that you know leads to a certain prediction about the end times like that might seem like the opposite of biblically illiterate you know if if someone's like combing through a book of the bible to like you know compare you know contrast figure out what's going on you know is is this talking about this in in our current day you know because especially with prophecy or whatever but i i saw a tweet that i think is relevant it i I can't remember who it was from or what he was quoting but he said like revelation contains like i forget the number but it was like hundreds of old testament quotes and allusions Mm -hmm. um and then and then and then his contribution was like maybe you know when you're trying to understand Revelation, maybe look at the Old Testament more than like newspapers. Right. And I think that that's a really good point where it's like, you know, that's biblical literacy, you know, not that, not that you're a scholar who knows how many Old Testament references are in the book of Revelation, but the point being like, you know, as individuals and as communities, recognizing like that the the Bible speaks in a certain way. The Bible was written in a certain way that is not about the American election in 2016. <laughs> it never right. was, and it never will be about that. So like, you know, what is John saying in Revelation? What what does, you know, Ezekiel point to for us? You know, those are great questions. And the biblically literate way to answer those is is through biblical theological study. You know, it's not through conjecturing about modern events, 
where it just doesn't fit, you know? And maybe you think it does fit, but being able to like test that out. And if it fits, great, I'm wrong. If it doesn't fit, you know, being able to recognize that like, oh, maybe I can learn something about this upcoming election from reading the book of Revelation. But that's different than saying like, oh, this verse is talking about Donald Trump or this verse is talking about, you know, Obama or fill in the blank, whatever yeah. you want to say. Like, like I think that's a good example of like, it might not seem like biblical illiteracy to be making like tons of, you know, like I just think of all the books that came out like in 2017 that I would go to Barnes and Noble and there would be like in the Christian living section, there'd be like one of the shelves was just full of all these different pictures that had the white house and like flames and like the back of Donald Trump's head. And it was like, you know, how, you know, one man received a word from God that revealed the prophecy of Trump's presidency, you know, saving the country or something. And it's like, <laughs> you're like, no. it's like, these are actual books that are actually being written for Christians. That? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but, and, and no, I'm not I'm even, gonna, like, that was rhatorical. Like who published right. that? I, I can't even, I can't imagine, but like, um, you know, and it's like, those are, those are, those are going to, people are always going to say those things. They always have, they always will, you know, but like our response to that will be so much more effective and also so much less confusing if we're able to respond to it with the word of God, right? Rightly understood as it is being presented to us, not the word of God being sort of slapped onto different theories that we want to make work. Um, that that's not biblical literacy. That's right complete biblical illiteracy right and maybe Um, to like make it even easier for someone to understand i mean when you even think about people that misuse verses you know i can do all things Mm -hmm. through christ who strengthens me or like i know the plans that i have passed that test right (laughs) like (laughs) i i just like think of how many times i've heard an athlete or maybe an actor like just you know they're, they're quoting the bible they might be using the words of scripture um but they're completely misusing and mishandling those passages i mean it's yeah that's not what those are about it doesn't mean that they're not true like of course god knows the plans that he has for us plans to you know do this or that um of course christ you know you can it it like just blows my mind like when i when i see these people like saying things like that to you know that's like their you know if you go to their instagram that's their you know little bio is i can do all things through christ who strengthens me which is yeah like christ does strengthen the believer he's the one that enables us to live and move and breathe and you know do the things that we do Um, but that verse doesn't mean that just because you want to do something christ is going to like enable you to do it like just because i want to have a million dollars just because i want to like be able to run a marathon just saying that isn't going to make it happen it's not it's not a magical it's not a it's not self-help yeah it's not magic it's not self-help jesus isn't a motivational speaker right um those those verses which are true are written in the context of a paragraph a chapter <laughs> a book <laughs> the whole scripture like there it, you have to be able to recognize when you're taking things in a different direction like right. also you know I, I guess i'm stuck on on a political you know uh train of thought here but like that verse i think it's in chronicles about you know when my people return to me Mm. uh, you know i I forget i forget exactly what but when my people come back to me god is talking um i will heal their land or or i will be their god and i I will heal their heal their land like that verse has absolutely nothing to do with the land that (laughs) is referred to as the united states of america (laughs) 
is it important for the people who live in this nation to come to God, to return or for the first time come to him as his people, united yeah. to him through baptism and faith in Christ? Absolutely. I wish ev- I wish that would happen for every single individual living here. And there would be incredible blessings on this country, on the world, if all 300-something million of us uh, actually repented and worshiped God in spirit and truth. Mm. Um, however... <laughs> that's not what that verse, you know, <laughs> the chronicler was not talking about our land <laughs> when he wrote that down or, you know, when he quoted God, you know, like he, <sighs> all I can hear in my head I'm right done. now is Matt Chandler yelling, you're not David. I don't, I can't remember even the context of that, but there's a famous oh, like Matt man. Chandler sermon the, where like, he's with, saying like, like David and Goliath. Yeah. You're not yeah. David in the story of yeah. David and Goliath. You know, you're, you're insurmountable debt or you know that other co-worker <laughs> that co-worker at you know at your office that's really annoying he's not your goliath that needs to be slain like that's not right. how we read scripture right. and we could keep going yeah. all day on this but like that's the, the, our point is like this is what it means to be biblically illiterate like just because you could talk about the bible just because you know the story is just because you can quote a text doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're being literate or even doing justice to the text like to think right. that like those things are about us is one an incredibly arrogant like mindset to have to think that you know what was yeah. written in chronicles or revelation or whatever was written about you know 2020 today or even to say that it was written about like an individual like Donald Trump like my goodness is there anything like again more arrogant than that and ignorant than that um, but the reality stands is that this these books were written to people in different places in different times for different reasons and of course it has application today uh, right. but its application is not like a direct this is about x y or z yeah so I think and, we'll it, just, and if yeah. it is about x y or z it's probably not gonna be about you know you slaying a giant it's right. probably gonna be more about like you know like when we read the psalms and and you know like chances are we're the bad guys wanting to you know if we if we read you know the the crucifixion narrative we're probably not the disciples, or even more so, we're probably not the women who actually stayed at the cross with Jesus. We're probably not the Roman centurion who recognized he was God. We're probably the high priests and Pilate and the crowds, and you know, like, and that's just a whole other aspect of like how we, what's the word? How we, you know, sort of up, how we try to apply things in certain ways to ourselves that might be missing the point. It might be missing the context. It might be overlooking flaws in ourselves. It might be misunderstanding. You know, there's there's lots of might be's. So we should probably we should probably move on. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely definitely an issue that I think has always plagued you know Christians. But but definitely definitely something that I can see being fairly widespread. Um, mm. Yeah, and a solution would be churches need to start teaching their people how to how to read the bible which is so easy for me to say <laughs> it's very, but yeah. you know it, in very broad terms i think it's safe to say like okay that's the solution um how that works itself out is going to be a much more complicated challenging and difficult discussion um but but I, i'm aware of how silly it sounds for me to sit here in my dining room and say that um but i do think that that is the the ultimate solution um and and that'll just have to work itself out with te- teachers and preachers who who are uh, more capable than me and 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 uh, know their people on how to do that. But but yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm going to skip ahead to what was my third one, but I think it, it might be a little more, um, I don't know. We've talked a lot about politics, so I'll skip nationalism. We've had a whole episode on it, so, you know. It, it, do, you, do you have anything specifically on nationalism you wanted to, to, to add or mention, Jensen, are, or, so are you saying that we're not going to talk about it in this episode, or are you saying we're just going to come back yeah, to I'm it? Yeah, I think I'm going to skip over it because I want to I talk about my other one more. Okay. But if yeah. you have things that you want to say, um, I, you know, now I'll, would be a good time. I'll just add a, maybe a couple thoughts. Um, yeah. You know, so one, nationalism is one of the biggest problems in the church today. So it is helpful to say that, that, we, that we do think that. Uh, so much so that we had an entire episode on it. So if yeah, you want to hear us yeah, talk right. for like an hour and a half about it, go back and find it. It's like Christianity and nationalism or something like that is what we titled it. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll find a lot of information there. Um, so I don't think it, you know, we don't need to beat a dead horse on that one. But really the the important thing is to emphasize that it is an issue. And it's an issue that contributes to other issues um, down yeah. the line. Because nationalistic tendencies, you know, to, to sort of conflate politics and religion um plays itself out in a real world where um racism exists where um a blurring of even salvation and what a believer actually is there's just a lot that goes into it so yeah go listen to that episode if you want to hear us talk about that yeah and then the other thing that i wanted to talk about is something that i'm just kind of call i didn't come up with this term but I, i'm what i'm calling today easy believism um, which I think is just a hunch, you know, I don't have any proof of this, but I think that, you know, a lot similarly to biblical illiter- illiteracy, I think that a lot of the other issues we, we have mentioned or can, me- or, or can mention are kind of linked to this one or, or, or exacerbated by this one. Um, I, I feel like this is more of a foundational kind of issue, um, than, than more of a symptomatic one. Um, of, of just the, the gospel, you know, being a Christian, the, the way that that is presented, that it's taught, that it's talked about in, in, you know, I'm speaking in general terms. I'm not trying to talk about you or your church or your pastor or whatever. Um, but it's, it doesn't cost anything in the way that it's talked about. Uh, you know, Bonhoeffer's cheap grace, I think is, is really what I'm getting at here where we can just, whether it's we say a prayer, whether it's we got baptized, whether it's we came from a certain kind of home, uh, we do certain things, we went through certain motions, and, 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 you know, truly believed that, oh, you know, I, I said this prayer when I was seven, and I really meant that, you know, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. Um, that means Jesus loves me. That means I'm a Christian. That means all my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Um, so I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to try and be a good person, and that's pretty much, you know, what the Christian life is. Um, when, when the gospel is easy, you know, when it doesn't cost us anything or when church becomes a a place to meet people, a nice community social club or something like that, when, when doctrine, not in some sort of, you know, final sense, but in the sense of seeking to know God rightly, seeking orthodoxy to, to, to believe and worship rightly, when that takes a backseat to, you know, fame or money or the popularity of, of a certain, you know, preacher or group or church, um, then it's, to me, it doesn't seem surprising if those things are going on 
that um, false teaching, weird, like, conflations of church and state, whatever it might be, are going to crop up. You know what I mean? It Christians in America have been in a place of comfort for so long in terms of culturally, you know, um, as far as the, you know, the, the nation and, and the, the, the culture that the settlers from Europe came and, and, and planted here. It's, it's always been um, predominantly Christian, at least in terms of the, the population, not necessarily in terms of, you know, I'm not saying it was a Christian nation. I'm just saying like most of the, you know, people who, the, the people who came and settled, uh, who had the power, who set up the rules, they were Christians. You know, they went to church. Um, it, so we've been in a place of comfort culturally, you know, legally. Um, and, and most of the time we've been in a place of power as well, particularly if we're talking about, you know, white Christians for most of our um, most of our country's history. Um, but it, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't cost us anything to be a Christian. Um, and that makes it easy to be a Christian in the sense of it makes it easy to affiliate with Christianity. It makes it easy to say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Um, without actually costing anything of us, without actually requiring anything of us, which means we can, quote unquote, be a Christian without actual repentance, without actually taking up our cross. Like, these are things that maybe we say a lot, so they've lost some of their, some of their, like, uh, punch. But we're talking about and we, the New Testament, Jesus, is talking about dying to yourself. Paul says that he no longer lives, but he's been crucified with Christ. He says that baptism is being buried into Christ's death. Like, I hope we can kind of at least step back and recognize how powerful these statements are, how strong they're supposed to be. Um, and when that's not the case, you know, when you don't get thrown to the lions just for being a Christian in your culture, it's not hard for people to say, oh, I think I believe that, or kids to be raised in church without ever coming face to face with whether or not they truly believe the gospel. And then, you know, it's, that leads to things like prosperity teaching. Oh, we're comfortable. There's no persecution. Yeah, that makes sense that God would want me to be rich, wouldn't want me to get sick, you know, whatever else. Um, and also, big, you know, old, you know, established mainline Protestant denominations who just kind of follow popular opinion on different issues or are prepared to, to you know, take or leave certain doctrines that have traditionally defined the faith or, or whatever, you know. Um, when the gospel, when the message of Christ, when, you know, the Bible, whatever, when Christianity just becomes a therapeutic tool or, uh, like we said earlier, like I'm like Jesus is a motivational speaker or the Bible is a self-help book, um, then the faith doesn't, it's not grounded on solid ground, which it's, I'm not saying it's not without problems, but if you live in a culture where the gospel, you know, telling someone the gospel is actually calling them to die to themselves, quite possibly literally, um, or to give up everything that they know and love um, and to proclaim, you know, like Paul says, only Christ and him crucified, that's solid ground, you know? And 
I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not saying we need to change the culture so that it's illegal to be Christian because that'll help the church grow, you know, <laughs> or that'll help the church be more serious. Um, but what I am saying is that the church needs to be more serious and that, that needs to shape our preaching, that needs to shape our, you know, our teaching as far as different doctrines, um, what the, you know, if we're doing like, like Sunday school or if you're in seminary or, um, you know, you're raising your kids, what are you teaching them about the gospel? It is a, it, it is a call to repentance, a light, like as Luther says, a life of repentance, um, which is turning away 180 degrees from what was behind and, and going forward. Um, it is unity with Christ means literally being made a new creation. It's radical and it's supposed to be radical. And that doesn't mean if you don't go to jail, you're not a good Christian. You know, that doesn't mean only people who live in countries that make the uh, Christianity illegal are true believers. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we, because of where we are in the world, we need to be responsible with the privileges and the blessings we, we've been given. And we need to be aware of the ways that they maybe open the door for a more wishy-washy kind of easy believism, cheap grace type faith. You know, the grace of Christ costs everything, not just of Christ, but also of us. It's freely offered to us. We don't, we don't do anything to earn it or we don't have to buy it, but that free gift does cost us our life as we knew it. Um, and that's a daily renewal kind of a thing that it, I feel like it's been lost in a lot of American Christianity, Western Christianity really in general at this point in history. And um, I don't know, again, I think it just goes back to um, the teaching that we're giving in our church and everything. So yeah, I don't know if you have any more thoughts or any other you know, input on that one. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of my time as a, as a youth pastor, actually, uh, sort of contemplating, I don't know, this, this idea, this trend of, of, of easy believism. Cause I think, you know, where this shows itself really prevalently is in youth ministry I mean, whether it's at youth camps or, you know, conventions or, you know, this retreat that we went on, there's almost this like the sort of like the innate goal of those sometimes seems to be to get conversions or at least to get salvations and like to know, like, what does that mean? Um, I know that's not exactly what easy believism is, but um, this sort of like really cheap understanding of salvation, um, you know, as though, it, you know, just raising your hand or coming down the, to the altar um, for the altar call, or, you know, there was some really powerful music that was going on, and y y they were moved to tears, so, like, that must be evidence of, you know, something happening spiritually, and I'm not saying that it's not, I mean, it's very well possible that that is the case, but I know that from firsthand experience, as a kid once, and then as a youth pastor, too, there's a lot of fake stuff that happens at those retreats and camps and conventions, and a lot of people that might profess to have, you know, been a Christian in those moments, I, I can look at their life now and it's nothing like a Christian life. Um, so that, yeah, I, I definitely see this as, as, as problematic. And, um, I'm trying to remember, um, uh, you know, I think we've talked about it before. Moralistic therapeutic deism, um, is sort of like the religion of many in our, in, in our country, you know, Christianity is all about, you know, being moralistic. You want to, live a good life, follow the rules, um, you know, have the, the American dream. Um, you know, God is sort of just a, uh, you know, 
a deity that you'll call upon in your in your moment of trouble and when things go well you're not really thinking about him because like why would you why would i need him I, you know i can be i can take care of myself um I think that those sort of go hand in hand. They have a, you know, if, if you have a cheap understanding of grace and of, uh, of salvation, you're going to have a cheap understanding of the Christian life. So, I, yeah, I definitely see those as, as being problematic. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll sort of maybe com- conclude here with uh, the mm-hmm. last one. Um, and, you know, there's, <laughs> we're going to include a link to a, a really helpful article that I read. I think it's something like 21 problems facing the church in the 21st century or something like that, written by Brett McCracken. He does a really good job of just sort of very easily identifying and naming some of those issues and giving, you know, easy-to-understand explanations. So if, if if you want to read more of, you know, what we're talking about, you can, you can check that out. And I just want to say, too, like, if we left something out, like, if you were hoping for something else, um, it's not that these are necessarily bigger problems than those. I mean, I know there are, are countless issues that we could have presented here. Um, but, you know, I think one that is... is you know, really important, especially in our in our society right now, is is racism. Um, I know that racism can be tied to you know nationalism, can be tied to tribalism, uh, it can also be tied to biblical illiteracy. Um, but I think on its own, it's 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 an issue. I think that the the church in America, especially, um, you know, like you kind of mentioned, you know, the people who came to this country, who founded it, who who established it as a country. Um, Though they might have professed a faith in Christ, they might have gone to church. They also were people who owned slaves, who condoned the the sale and the ownership of of other humans. And um, again, I mentioned you know critical race theory earlier. I'm not going to go into that, but I just mean the the, the fact stands that our country was founded and built um, w- very racistly, if that can you know be be a word. <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of what was established, a lot of what was um, put into place, even if it wasn't like on the surface racist was actually, you know, demoralizing and dehumanizing people who were made in the image of God. And so those things, even if you in 2020 are not guilty of being a racist, um, you still either benefit or, um, exist and live in the context of something that was established as a system to help Caucasian people flourish, I guess, and to help other people kind of not flourish. And this, I mean, we could have in a whole, we could have a whole episode on racism. You know, we could talk about um, racism in the police force. We could talk about racism in the church. We could talk about racism, you know, where it exists all over this country. Um, but for the sake of, you know, this conversation, I think, you know, racism is an issue that the church faces, um, whether it's, just actually rank racism that I've heard from, you know, certain IFB preachers, um, or whether it's just, um, you know, tendencies to, uh, you know, there was a conversation I had with somebody where they were talking about, you know, the part of town that they live in, how it's the, you know, it's the nice part of town. We don't have any uh, minorities in our part, in our part of town. We don't have any crime. We don't have any this or that. And it's like that as a, as a Christian, that's what you're saying right to, to my face right now that like, you enjoy living in this town and in your part of town because like you feel safe and comfortable in your home at night. Um, like there's, that's, there's something wrong with that mindset. And again, this is where it plays into tribalism. This is where it can play into biblical illiteracy, like not understanding the intrinsic value and worth that, that humans have as being image bearers of, of God, um, of, you know, 
Jew and Gentile, these two people who had racial conflict, uh, you know, now being unified, or even think of like the parable of the Good Samaritan, like Jews and Samaritans did not associate, like it was a big deal, um, you know, that Jesus was speaking one to a woman who happened to be a Samaritan at, at the well. Um, or, you know, again, the, the parable of the, the good Samaritan, the fact that, you know, there's this man who has fallen victim to robbers, uh, you know, the priest walks by and is it a Levite, like two people that you would, you know, expect to help their fellow man, the, the two people who like, of course, the pastor and the fellow Israelite would, would stop and help the one in need, but in reality, the one who does is the Samaritan, the one who is not a brother, the one who is not a friend by cultural definitions is the one who not only helps, but like goes out of his way to provide and care for him. And I think that's, again, a picture that maybe we need to read more frequently as Christians, this account of the good Samaritan and and to really grasp and understand what it means to live in this world. Um, I like that you began with tribalism and this is sort of where we end because it helps paint this like full circle image maybe of, you know, when when we create these us versus them dichotomies, these white versus black, um, you know, men versus women, um, Vikings fans versus Patriots fans, you know, whatever, whatever these dichotomies are, um, they can, they can be really problematic. And and racism is one really big expression of that uh, where, you know, I I can guarantee you if you walked into most most conservative Protestant evangelical churches in America, they're going to be predominantly white. And that's not to say that that church was founded as a a racist church. Um, But because of like the inherent structure of our world and our society, that's just sort of the way that it's fleshed out in reality. Um, So again, people far more educated, far wiser, um, with more experience on these issues can probably say a lot more. Um, But I think it's really, really ignorant to say that racism isn't a problem um it's really ignorant to say that like you know for one person to say i am not racist even if you don't like you know wear a white hood and carry a confederate flag like there are ways that you can be there there are ways that you can have racist tendencies i guess is i guess what i'll say but um it's an issue that i think needs to be talked about and really addressed especially in light of our cultural moment so i don't know if you want to add anything or um, yeah, I think history is really helpful. Um, like a good example would be like, um, you know, Jim Crow, those laws don't exist anymore. You know, they haven't for a long time. Well, a relatively, you know, for us a long time, <laughs> historically 50 years isn't a very long time, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like those laws existed for a long time and they no longer exist. And that is a wonderful thing. Thanks to courageous individuals that stood up to a horrible, sinful system that they were oppressed by. However, we can celebrate the fact that Jim Crow doesn't exist anymore and it hasn't for a long time. And we don't have to pretend that's not true while also recognizing that there are impacts of what has happened in the past. Um, there, there, There are and there were people after Jim Crow was abolished and um, there was not the same legal recognition of, you know, white people being superior to black people um, or white people having more access to things than black people. Um, there, there, there were in the aftermath of it being repealed and, and changed. And, and I would 
say still are people who suffer generational, um, you know, oh, I had a word, I lost it, effects of, of that. Um, sin has, you know, we had a professor, I don't know if you remember him talking about this, but we had a professor, Dr. Schmutzer in, in, uh, in, uh, at Moody who, um, gave a lecture once about the, the relational ecosystem. So, so you've got, you know, your relationship to yourself, your relationship to your environment, your relationship to other humans, your relationship to, to God. So think Genesis, uh, you know, end of Genesis two, beginning of Genesis three, um, You've got Adam and Eve, all the animals, the earth, the garden itself, God. Um, they sin, what happens? Every one of those relationships is shattered. And that has, that, that, that shattering that sin does has concrete, real um, impacts after the actual sin itself is done and addressed. That, you know, they got kicked out of the garden. That, that sin, they received the just, you know, payment for that sin. They got kicked out of the garden. Um, they suffered spiritual death, separation from God, um, which I, I think is being kicked out of the garden. I think those are two separate things. Um, but Adam spent the rest of his life fighting against the ground to bring out food, you know, and, and so did Cain and Abel, and so did Seth, and so did so all the way down to us. And I think that, that, that there, there's, a similar, there's a similar thing that happens where, I don't believe that you actually need to, you know, and this is something for those smarter, wiser people to do. Um, I don't think you need to look at the facts and the data of our legal system, our economic system, and come to a certain, you know, conclusion or a certain definition of whether or not something is quote unquote, you know, systemically racist to acknowledge, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to come to a certain conclusion on that to say, we need to reckon with our history. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of people have reckoned with parts of history, but I don't think that we can ever really say that, you know, hundreds of years of historical trauma and wrongdoing, um, we can just kind of wash our hands. We've already dealt with it. It's done. I think that there's, there's somewhere in between that and saying like, you know, oh, because you're white, you're responsible for slavery. There, those are two, you know, extremes that we can reject and come to somewhere in the middle where we recognize the fact that like people have suffered and they are suffering. And there are ways that that is due to injustice either in the present or in the past. And I think that that's an interesting, much broader conversation than I'm able to do right now, or probably even in general of like where you go from there kind of, but I do think that history is really important to, to, be willing to humbly reckon with our own history. And this goes, this goes both ways. Like, you know, everybody needs to be able to realistically reckon with, with the world around them. I mean, a big part of that is, is history of, of recognizing that there, there are, there are after effects of even the horrific injustices that have been addressed. They can still echo into the present, even if you don't want to say, which, you know, it's true. We don't live in, you know, an American legal system that is anywhere near as unjust as it was 50 years ago, as it was 100 years ago, as it was 300 years ago. That is true. Um, you don't need to say that there have there has been no progress in order to say that we still need to be willing and humble to reckon with the issues that are going on. And again, full circle, like you said, this this applies to any sort of us versus them. Uh, because we're all made in the image of God. The dividing wall has been broken down. 
Um, and in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. And we need to rec- we need to really actually believe that and live that out. And I think that that's a really important. This is a really important area to 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 be doing that. You know, to to be concerned with that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of that's all I'd, I'd really have to add to that. So um, if you want to kind of wrap things up, yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up quick here, and we'll we'll sort of just say that this is a good exercise to do to think about the issues that we see in the church in society how they overlap how they're different um so this is something that i think we might even revisit but we'll we'll close with a word of prayer and i think this is a fitting one Uh, it's titled christ alone so let's pray oh god thy main plan uh, and the end of thy will is to make christ glorious and beloved in heaven where he is now ascended where one day all the elect will behold his glory and love and glorify him forever Though here I love him but little, may this be my portion at last. In this world thou hast given me a beginning. One day it will be perfected in the realm above. Thou hast helped me to see and to know Christ, though obscurely, to take him, receive him, to possess him, to love him, to bless him in my heart, my mouth, in my life. Let me study and stand for discipline in all the ways of worship out of love for Christ, and to show my thankfulness, to seek and know his will from love, to hold it in love, and daily to care for and keep this state of heart. Thou hast led me to place all my nature and happiness in oneness with Christ, in having heart and mind centered only on him, in being like him and communicating good to others. This is my heaven on earth, but I need the force, energy, and impulses of thy spirit to carry me on the way to my heavenly Jerusalem. Here it is my duty to be as Christ in this world, to do as he would do, uh, to do as he would do, to live as he would live, to walk in love and meekness. Then would he be known, then would I have peace in death. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, maybe, I don't know, controversial, maybe more difficult. I don't know. I think it was good. I, I hope it was a good conversation. But either way, no matter what you think of it, thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter at Doxology Podcast or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. And you can email us email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We love your feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes. What are the issues you see in, in the church uh, or, or that you're concerned with or that you've experienced? You know, we'd really love to hear from you and get, get sort of your, your responses and input. Uh, you know, are we crazy? Are we coming up with a bunch of things that aren't even the real issues we should be talking about? Let us know. You can also sign up for our newsletter, get weekly updates on upcoming episodes and any other big news or happenings in the world of the Doxology podcast. Um, go to logos.com slash doxology podcast for more information on our wonderful sponsor, Logos Bible Software. And we'd love to hear from you on any of those platforms. And until next time, we will see you.